Morning, everyone. It's uh, good to be back with you again. And uh, it's funny being a, you know an internationally renowned TV star. There's one, there's one major thing that I, I, I fail to achieve, and that's to receive a penny in royalties from any <laughs> of my my numerous TV appearances. But uh, Steve, thank you for uh, for leading us through this morning. It's been great to come and to to sing and to to hear God's word open and to hear it read and to think about the kindness of God. Something that we may or may not touch on uh, as we go through. And everybody else is taking part and to our, our music group as well. Now, when I was about eleven or twelve, I, I wasn't on TV at that uh, at that moment. But what I was in, I was in the boys' brigade. All right. Blue jumpers, blue caps, blue shirts, blue trousers, blue everything, all right? The lot, the whole lot. And some of you might say, well, well, Ashley, come on. Now, Boys Brigade is good, but surely Skypes would have been better, you know? Okay. But there wasn't much call for all that camping lark in inner city Bristol. So Boys Brigade, it was. You know, that was what it was. Company section, 11 to 15-year-olds. I was taught to, uh, to stand to attention and to salute and to crease trousers and ball boots and, and all the rest of it that, that, that went on with it. And... My time in Boys Brigade taught me kind of, you know, lots of things of how to look after yourself and iron your clothes and the rest of it. But it taught me two very important lessons. One, I was no good at drums, okay? And two, the bugle was not my forte either, all right? So those were, those were some of the lessons that I learned in, in Boys Brigade. But what else it taught me was how to march, all right, in time. You know, we used to spend hours going up and down the hall, hours and hours and hours, marching in time. Why? Because we spent so much time going out on parade. I mean, the crowds that used to come and watch. Oh, there must have been 10 or 15 people at one event. It was incredible. But there we were, in all our finery. Us lads thinking that we were something special, you know. And it seemed that the more... We used to have these um, armbands on with all your different badges on that you got for various... You know, I can tie my shoelaces and I can sew a button on without sewing my finger to the coat and the button as well. You know, all this sort of stuff. That went on, and so as we were, you know, you're parading about, and it was all the all the badges were all out, and the shoes were polished, and it was all wonderful. We just spent hours and hours and hours out parading around, you know, marching around in great ranks of lads, trying your hardest not to bump into the person in front of you, you know, or cause some may up and pile up on the, you know, what? Well, to be honest, look, I'm not going to cut it any more than that. All we did was march around the back streets of Bristol. Really, to be fair, that was about as far as it got, but. Why, why talk about Boys Brigade? Why talk about going on parade? We're talking about Jesus, aren't we? What relevance has, has that got? Well, forgive me for saying this, but I, I couldn't find of any other way of saying it, but the passage that we're going to look at this morning is Jesus on parade. And I don't say that to be flippant. I don't say that to be uh, somehow uh, demonstrating what Jesus was doing at this time. It was incredible. But this was Jesus on parade. And this is what we're going to look at uh, this morning. Well, you see, we're going to talk about this, this pretty incredible uh, event of Jesus arriving uh, in Jerusalem. So we're going to read from Matthew uh, chapter 21, uh, verses 1 to 11. If you're using a church Bible, it's page uh, 989, and as ever, uh, it, will be on, uh, it will be on screen as well. So let's read then this uh, incredible story uh, from, from the book of Matthew together this morning. So as they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives... Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with a colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything uh, to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. You see, this took place 
to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and a colt, the foal of a donkey. And the disciples went and did as Jesus instructed and they brought their donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. And a very large crowd spread out their cloaks on the road and while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road, the crowds went ahead of them and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. So while Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth in Galilee. So that's a, a pretty, you know, uh, also a good clue what we're going to sing later on. But uh, we've got this pretty major uh, event happening uh, in Matthew 21 here this morning. We've got a, a fairly major uh, event happening in the life of Jesus. You see, he's starting, uh, his, his, or rather continuing his journey to, to, to Jerusalem. His journey that will ultimately lead him to the cross. He's in the final three years of his life. The very public years of his life. Remember those, those times in silence, those 30 years, where John said that the, the books of the world could not contain the truth and the, the wisdom and the, the miracles of what Jesus had done in that time. And now we, here we have Jesus making his way into this very public uh, last three years of his life. This very uh, sort of, uh, open and under scrutiny uh, period of his, uh, of his life. You see, well, what would happen with these is that this would mark Jesus out, these last three years of his life, would mark them out, him out as somebody special. Somebody very special. You see, and this, this, this event is so significant. It's one of the only events, a handful of events, that, that's talked about in all four of the Gospels, these uh, written accounts of Jesus' life. They all say slightly different things, as, as the Gospels do. That's, that's what they do. You, know, you don't all see one event. Four of you, I'm going to pick four random people, no matter who it is, you will see an event. You know, let's say you've just clocked Lawson stealing from, from a shop. You know, you're not going to say exactly the same thing. You're all going to see a slight different moment. You see it in slightly different ways. And that's exactly what the Gospels were. They were written to different audiences, different people. So each writer puts their own slant on it, their own uh, uh, different things that they notice during the event. So this, this final chapter then, if you will, Jesus' final act, if you, if you want to call it that, his time was on earth was to be prayed out, uh, played out rather, in Jerusalem. You see, God's plan for his son had brought him to this point. He'd healed the sick. He'd raised the dead. He taught in a way that no one has ever done before or since. He'd done some of the most amazing things that a man has ever done on this earth. And now here we are when he arrives at this point. He's dis- two, he dispatches two disciples to go and find a couple of donkeys. To find a donkey that no one has ever ridden before. And if anybody asks for it, then you simply say that the Lord needs it, and that will be enough. So here is Jesus having this, in this these little, little one sentence, shows Jesus' control over everything. His authority. The fact that his, we talks about the prophet that we're going to look at later on talks about a king. If, if Queen Elizabeth walked in this room and said, I want your shirt, she could have it. Most of you would be rather embarrassed, not as embarrassed as I would. But, you know, that's the authority, isn't it? That's the, that's the, 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 the royal thing of it. The royal family in this country divide opinion, but the fact of the matter is this. They are there. They are our royal family. 
So therefore we have to obey. And yet here was, this, here was Jesus as a king saying, go in my name and take it. And it's perfectly acceptable. So Matthew writes this gospel and he writes this account in a way that he, he, he brings in the words from the prophet Zechariah. And what Zechariah says is that you have heard about that their king, this Ozion, this nation of Israel, your king will come riding on a donkey. But see what it says. Say to your daughter, Zion, see your, comes to, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey. Think about the, the people that were there at that time. Who were the ruling party? You know, they weren't voted in. They were there by force. And they were the Romans. And I very much doubt for one moment that any person in authority within the Roman legion or the Roman hierarchy did anything gently for one moment. I can't... Oh, excuse me, sir. Would you mind just moving to one side? Caesar is on his way through. I can't imagine that for one moment. There would have been blokes with swords and spears and shields and horses and all sorts of stuff and people who had just been brushed aside because the king was more important or the emperor was more important. You see, but he, when Jesus comes to Jerusalem, when Jesus comes into the city, he comes gently. <coughs> We're going to talk about meekness and weakness later on. But here comes Jesus arriving gently in the city on a donkey. And the disciples did just what, what Jesus said they would do. You see, the people in the area around, they would have known about Jesus. They would have heard about him through reputation. I mean, Paynton's a fairly small place, isn't it, in the grand scheme of things in the country. And if somebody down on Paynton's seafront was saying to me, bring all your sick, all your lame and all your injured, and I will heal them, two things would happen. One, it would spread throughout social media it was spread throughout everything that there was a complete and utter nutcase wandering around paint and hot paint and seafront which you know is painting so there's always a good chance but or it would be an actual fact that here was a man doing amazing miracles and this is what jesus was doing so the reputation will spread either way no matter which side of the story you sit on the reputation jesus's reputation would have spread and so they would have realized that when jesus comes riding into town on a donkey something amazing amazing was happening well, why do you ask? It's only a donkey. It's not, you know, a great parade of horses with a gold coach and all the rest of it. Well, see, Jesus, like every person around that day, or rather the vast majority of people around that day, the people that he lived amongst, walked everywhere. That was what they did. You know, funnily enough, Mr. Rolls hadn't met Mr. Royce yet, you know? And so, therefore, we didn't have, you know, the Model T was still several thousand years away from invention. You know? The wheel was square at this time. And so everybody walked everywhere, with the exception of royalty and a few rich people that could afford horses and chariots and sedan chairs and all the rest of it. And so here we have Jesus, who normally walks everywhere he goes, now rides into town on donkey. You see, the party make their way towards Jerusalem. There would have been a great crowd of people, as our, our passage said, following him. The news would have got out. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. Come, look, look, look. It's incredible. Come and see. There's people everywhere, they're throwing their coats on the floor, they're cutting down palm leaves, and he's on a donkey. And there's another little donkey that we're not really sure what that's doing, but he's on a donkey. And there's his followers are everywhere. That's incredible, come and see what's going on. Oh, oh, oh don't forget your coat, you'll need that, because that needs to go on the floor. 
So here is this amazing event happening. The, the hubbub, the noise, the, the, the people would have realized that this is, this is Jesus. You see, remember the Jews believed that their Messiah would come into town. For those of them, they would have known this prophecy from Zechariah. They would have known, O king, you know, o, o, say to O daughter Zion, your king comes in to you gentle, riding on a donkey. They would have known that. And here he is. Except they get it completely wrong because Jesus doesn't come into town to do what the, the, the Jewish people want. That was to kick out the Romans. And Jesus comes into town because he's here for a much bigger and much more important purpose. Uh, speaking of Romans, I, I wonder what any of the soldiers or the authorities would have thought. This is a king? A king? Kings don't come on donkeys. They have horses and chariots and legions of soldiers, and you know, we know weeks in advance when they're coming. You know, this is a king. This is just some bloke who's full of his own self-importance, surely. I'd better go and tell the boss, just in case. We don't want any uprising. We don't want these people getting above their station. Keep the serfs where they need to be. We don't, don't want too much going on. That would, would, would that have been a fair assumption of what the Romans thought of what was happening? You know, there's a few, I'm glad there's a few nods. Yes, this is good. You know, this is just a, a random bloke turning up on a donkey with all these weird and one. Hosanna? What in the world does Hosanna mean? You know, what is that all about? Imagine it from a Roman perspective. You've never seen it before. You've heard of this bloke, Jesus, but unless he comes with an army, you're not really fussed about him. You know, he's just another one of the Israelites, peasants. And here we have Jesus arriving on a, on, a, on a donkey, arriving, doing exactly what the prophet said he would do thousands of years before. And the Romans are not interested. The people are, but the people are ecstatic. They're everywhere. There's coats and palm leaves and there's people going mad. Hosanna in the highest. They're praising Jesus' name. All because, he's, and all he's done is, he hasn't done anything yet. He's just walked into the city, or rather ridden into the city. You see, according to the Romans, those kings or emperors don't ride donkeys, do they? They don't come in, in you know, without fanfare or great esteem. They don't just turn up. And yet here was Jesus, gently, meekly, quietly, in respect, walking into the city, or rather riding on <coughs> into the city. You see, when Jesus comes into Jerusalem, however... Irrespective of all the pomp and circumstance, he came just as the prophet said. He came as king. So my question to you is, is this this morning. Where does Jesus stand in your life? Where does Jesus stand in your life? Does he stand as king, who has the highest place, above everything, above everybody else, <coughs> above your time, your money, your energy, your work, your family, absolutely everything? Or do you sit in the Romans' position this morning, whereby he's just some other Jewish person who thinks he's full of his own self-importance? It's a serious question. It's a serious question that we need to ask ourselves. You see, Jesus it is king. Let me just put that into perspective. Let me answer the question for you. Jesus is king. The people recognized him as king. Well, they did for now, at least. You see, the branches and the coats and everything else were a sign of, of acknowledgement. 
They acknowledged royalty. And it's, for them, it symbolized joy. You see, so for us, if you want to take this and make it applicable, is there needs to be, if we're Christians, there needs to be a joy within us that we realize that Jesus is king. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. There is an acknowledgement and there is a joy within us when we realize that Jesus is king. That actually, he is who he says he is. He is and he has fulfilled the prophet's word. So I'm going to ask a question again. Because I want you to seriously think about it. Is Jesus king in your life? You see, Matthew quoted the, the prophet, Zechariah, which makes the points of, of Jesus' humility, his gentleness. A small donkey with his closest followers and a people who had heard his reputation. You see, Jesus enters as a king, but he does so in humble circumstances. You see, Jesus will also do the same in our lives. If we make Jesus king, he's not going to come in, kick our front doors down and start demanding with all whatever, we, we just have to do whatever. He's not going to come in and start thrashing us to pieces if we don't follow his every whim, command and thought. Rather, what Jesus is going to do is if you make Jesus the king of your life, if you make Jesus the Lord of your life, he will come in and he will change you from the inside out. It might be dramatic. It might, I can pretty much assure you, it's going to be uncomfortable. Because there are going to be things that you love in your life that we're going to have to give up. But he's going to change you from the inside out. Look at the amount of people who came to Jesus by day, by night, wherever it was. They came to Jesus because God had been working on the inside. God had been working within their hearts. That was why they were there. That was why they came. They came to Jesus. And now here we have, so Jesus changed them on the inside. And then when they left Jesus, they might have been healed, forgiven, and so on and so forth. Look at Legion. A man who lived among the tombs, who cut himself with stones, that chains couldn't bind him. The people were afraid of him. He came to Jesus. And what was he? Sat clothed and in his right mind. That's who Jesus is. So when we talk about Jesus being king, it's not just Jesus being this all-commanding ruler. It's actually making Jesus the Lord of your life and making his, what his will and what his wants are uh, apply to you. So how, again, how do we view Jesus? As king? As just another man? Some fictional character from stories of when you were a child? What about this? Do we still see him as the baby in the manger that we only ever talk about at Christmas time? For, for thousands of people around this world, that's who Jesus is. He's just the baby that remains in the manger from one year to the next. Or is he somebody that has a real relevance within your life? A real relevance in your heart? You see, Jesus' disciples, they had to play their part in this celebration because they obeyed Jesus. They took Jesus at his word. What was it? What made the disciples uh, so obedient? I mean, if any one of you, let's say, that, all right, let's put it in context. So one of your church leaders here, Kev, Lawson, or Jonathan, says, what I want you to do is I want you to go to the Mare and Foal Centre in Berry Pomeroy. All right? I want you to go and untie a horse. All right? I want you to walk it from there back to my house. Are you going to do it? I'm glad you're looking at me. No, I wouldn't do that. Are you, what are you gonna, do, but you know what I mean? That's what it is, isn't it? Here is their leader saying, go and do it. What makes them so obedient? Because they trust 
complicitly. They don't get it right all the time. But deep down, within their hearts, they trust who Jesus is. They've seen what he's done. They've seen the way that he's affected people. And if you're not a follower of Jesus here this morning, look around you. Because there is a big group of people who know what it is to be followers of Jesus. Who know what it is to have them change, or rather have him change their lives for the better. They're not perfect. They don't get it right all the time. You know? But we're human. Aren't we? (coughs) Some of us are better looking. Some of us are taller. Some of us are shorter. Some of us have been on TV. (laughs) But this is who we are. Yet there are, if you're not a Christian here this morning, if you're not a follower of Jesus here this morning, look around you. Because the people that you're looking at, the people that you recognize are something different, that have a joy within them, have a relationship with Christ. And that's what sets them out as different. They've seen what Jesus has done in other people. They've seen what Jesus has done in them. And he has changed their lives for the better. So during the the, the few remaining moments of our time together, I want to show you that Jesus is worthy of our worship. And he did something incredible to warrant it. Something more, something bigger had to be done. You see, Jesus was that more. He is that something bigger. He was to be the ultimate sacrifice. Never to be repeated. Jesus came to do. Jesus arrived in Jerusalem as a king. But he was to leave Jerusalem in very different circumstances. You see, there's one thing that unites us, be that Christian or be that not Christian. It's sin. A three-letter word. That's it. A three-letter word that is tainted and stained and ruined the whole of human history. And it's that thing that cuts us off from our relationship with God. You see, but God has provided a way out. It's our sin. And it's our responsibility to trust Christ. And that is death on the cross will save us eternally. See, that's what Jesus came to do. When he arrived, remember I said he was on the road. He was on the road for a purpose. He was going for, to a specific place. That's what it was. You see, Matthew says the city was stirred up. All the noise, the commotion, all the carry-on, and all because, well, a prophet from Nazareth had arrived in the city. I think, to be fair, that marks him out as more than just a prophet. You know? If a prophet walked into a town in those days, nine times out of ten they would have just come in, done what they needed to do, what God wanted them to do, and then on their way again. But here we have Jesus. He arrives as more than a prophet. The fact that the people react and they celebrate his arrival. You see, but here is Jesus riding on this donkey. And as far as we can tell, he doesn't say anything. So far as what we have from the, the gospel accounts and, and historical accounts, he doesn't say anything. He just comes in and arrives. You see, he doesn't seem to make much of the attention. And so here, here is Jesus, the epitome of humility. Corrie ten Boom would be a name that is uh, known to quite a lot of people in this room, but, but she was a Christian lady who helped hide Jews from the Nazis uh, during the war. And she had this to say on Jesus' humility. 
If it were difficult for her, she was asked if it was difficult for her to remain humble, even though she had done amazing things for God in the most extreme circumstances. And her reply was very simple. When Jesus rode into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey, and everyone was waving palm branches and throwing garments on the road and singing praises, do you ever think for one moment that it entered the head of that donkey that any of it was for him? She continued, If I can be a donkey on which Jesus rides into glory, then I will give him all the honor and all the praise. You see, that's who Jesus is. That's who just what Jesus deserves. So for those of us that are not Christians, we should not be, uh, or rather, we, for those of us that are Christians, we should be humble and not full of our own self-importance. Jesus didn't swan around like he owned the place, even though he did. Rather, he walked in humility. And everything he did, every step he took, every thought he thought, every, war, every step he walked, pleased his Father. You see, even with all the shouting and the praising, it isn't long before the Bible says some very poignant words. Jesus weeps over Jerusalem. He could see beyond the pomp and the circumstance. He could see beyond what was happening. He could see the real problem. And he gets to the heart of the real problem. God's people have turned their back on him. And are living according to their own rules. And they're living lives that displease God. So this took place then, almost 2,000 years ago. Amongst the people who have long since dead and their memories have long since been forgotten. They're consigned to the annals of history. Yet the lesson is still the same. Because here we are as a group of people who have turned their back on God. And will do anything and everything to do what seems to be the complete opposite of what God wants to do. You see, verse 11 shows that the people didn't really understand who Jesus was. They didn't get it. They call him a prophet. And while he was, yes, he was so much more than that. But there is later on accounts in the Bible where the pieces do fall together. Peter calls him the Christ. Other people call him the Son of God. Yet it was Thomas, a disciple who didn't believe what had happened straight away, hit the nail on the head when he called him this, my Lord and my God. That's exactly who it is. That's exactly what our position should be, that when we come and we interact with Jesus, that we realize that he is simply our Lord and our God. You see, he didn't ride into Jerusalem on a white stallion, leading his forces against the Roman Empire. And he doesn't work that way today. He still comes in a spirit of gentleness. The Bible says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. I don't stand at the door and kick it down. He says, I stand at the door and knock. And then comes our part. There needs to be an openness, a receiving, a willingness. So then Jesus is arrested. He's dragged before the Sanhedrin. And later before Pilate, he's accused, he's mocked, he's beaten and humiliated. Yet through it all, he does nothing to protect himself. Does that mean he's cowardly or weak? Not at all. This was the same man who went into the temple and drove out all those who were dishonoring the house of God. This is the one who could halt a storm in its tracks with a single word. This is gentleness personified. This is gentleness displayed. This is kindness displayed. And never ever mistake gentleness with weakness. So as I close this morning, the people misunderstood who Jesus was. The thought that they thought that he was going to free the people from the oppression of Rome. When in fact he came to deal with a much bigger oppression. 
He came to deal with sin. And he did it by dying on the cross. And you can know that forgiveness if you're not a Christian here this morning. That Jesus can, can give by asking him to forgive your sin. Just as he has done with millions of people throughout history. That until he returns or the, the time that God says that's enough. He will continue to do with millions of people. You see, Jesus wants to forgive us. He died to forgive us. He died in our place and he died to restore our relationship with God. So my question is this. I've only asked one question this morning. I do ask many. But what about this? Where does Jesus fit? Is he king? Or not? Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem as king. The people worshipped him. They paid homage they laid their coats on the ground and they walked by. One day Jesus will turn to this earth as king. And he will be worshipped again. Take the opportunity now, this morning. Don't walk out that door before you have done this. You've given your life to the king. Let him forgive your sin and enjoy a relationship with him that will last for eternity. Jesus entered Jerusalem. To me, that marked him out as special. If you don't know who Jesus really is, my last challenge to you this morning is this. Find out who Jesus is for yourself. Let's pray.